Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Lance Tyson, President and CEO of Tyson Group. And if you want to learn how to build top-tier relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Lance Tyson. Lance is the president and CEO of the Tyson Group, which is a top 20 sales organization in the world. He's a seasoned entrepreneur, a longtime sales veteran who's trained sales talent for some of the biggest names in professional sports and entertainment including the Dallas Cowboys, which I really don't even have to read off any of the other teams uh, after reading off the Dallas Cowboys. But I will, I will just for the sake of, of, of Lance. So we have Dallas Cowboys, Cleveland Browns, New York Yankees, Miami Dolphins, Fenway Sports Management, Boston Red Sox, Tampa Bay Lightning, San Francisco 49ers, the uh, 2016 NBA Championship, Cleveland Cavaliers, Plus, if you're a Vegas local like myself, the Golden Knights, among many, many others, he facilitates, trains, and conducts over 100 workshops annually in areas such as performance management, leadership, sales, sales management, customer service, and team building. So guys, it's going to be an amazing conversation if that intro, if that bio did not fire you up to learn a little bit from Lance, then maybe you're listening to the wrong show. I'm really stoked to get into some of these things really quickly. But first, if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur and you 
would love to start a podcast of your own. You know what it would be able to do for your brand, for your marketing, for your content, for your relationships, your network, all of those things, but you're just not exactly sure how to get it done. You don't have the time to figure it out. Then have me and my team do that for you. Just head over to travischapelcom slash make my podcast and we'll build out a show for you so that you can focus on the things that you're good at, which is servicing your clients. And we'll focus on what we're good at, which is building good podcasts. That's trapshapple.com slash make my podcast. Lance, thanks so much for joining me on the show today, man. Really, really excited to have you. Travis, I appreciate the opportunity, like I was saying before. And we definitely have some things in common. I'm in Vegas a lot. So yes, <laughs> a lot of time out there. Awesome. And plus the sales thing, man. I don't know if you know this about me, but I did uh, before I was in podcasting and online business world, I did about five, six years of door-to-door sales, sales training, recruiting, management, and all that kind of stuff. So I love it. I uh, definitely love it. Some, some commonality here. So I want to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit on who you sure. are because your resume is very impressive. And I'm sure we'll get into some of those things as well. But uh, I want to get a little bit of context for those listening to, to see a little bit more about who Lance is. So let's take it back, like rewind the clock, We're talking all the way back here, you know, junior high, Lance Tyson, give me a quick rundown on, you know, what were your, your parents like? What was it like growing up being you? Well, you know, I, I think it's interesting, right? I, I'd love to say rags to riches, probably not. More mom work, dad work. Dad was a entrepreneur and in a septic tank business, an excavation company. He used to tell me, you have two arms, two legs, good head on shoulders, you can do anything anybody else does. He said, the world's your oyster. He said, you'll never make any money working for anybody else. And out of my brothers, I was the one that kind of got started in my own business. I, I think though, as it relates to sales and being up in front of the room and training people, I also moved eight times by the time I, I hit my junior in high school. Wow. Always the new kid, always kind of forced to make friends, be the outcast, or at least trying to fit in in somehow, some way. So sure. really entrepreneurial family, though, to be frank with you. So done, yeah. did all kinds of things. Dropped out of uh, probably the quick hitter of it all is I joined the Marines, was in the Marines for a year, got discharged, hurt my back, went to college, a horrible student in high school. And by my junior year, I was just so bored with college hmm. just because I was, I was paying for it. I decided that I was going to pay, kind of had a job. And started an import-export business right around 92. And wow. that's right when the wall fell down in Berlin. And I decided to get into that and, and started a company called Lancet International. <laughs> so I still wow. have the letterhead for it. Nice, nice. So very entrepreneurial family growing up, which was, you know, I feel like nowadays it's got to be at least fairly common. And I know entrepreneurs, it's like its own little micro celebrity fame even for some entrepreneurs out there. But back then, it was not that thing. So it, was there anything in particular that you look at as like a reasoning for what you've been able to justify why your parents were in particular on that kind of, you know, that path? I think it's more how my dad just grew up. Interesting enough, my mom's actually staying with us right now um, for about a week. My dad was from a different generation. So my dad was actually a World War II generation. My mom oh, wow. graduated high school in the 60s and I was in college in the 90s. And I think he kind of was raised entrepreneurial, his grandfather, he took over his grandfather's business. So just ingrained and I got mesmerized by that. Like I, he was calling his own shots and things like that. Mm. To be really frank with you, we've had a lot of family conversations about this. I made a pitch to my dad at one point right around when I was getting out of high school and college that I wanted to work with him and, and I wanted to kind of be part of his business. And he really shut me down. And we never got in a conversation wide since past, but I think it might have been the best thing to do because I kind of got a chip on my shoulder that he did for me 
is like, I'll show you, I'll be successful. My two <laughs> brothers though, my two brothers didn't take that entrepreneurial route. So it wasn't like the whole family it was you know, sure. like a family business. I kind of took the route. Yeah, it definitely speaks to the personality, you know, that I think that some entrepreneurs are just, some entrepreneurs are definitely just born. And uh, you, I mean, you obviously sharpen that innate ability, but, uh, you know, proof right there, you're raised the same way as your other brothers, but a couple of them decided to not go right. the same route, right. um, which is really interesting. So I wonder what your advice would be for young people now, you know, 2020, they're 18, 19, 20 years old, and they are trying to consider what path should I go down? Should I go down the, the school path, the college path, the traditional path, or should I try to blaze kind of my own trail? Do you have any advice for anybody not trying to navigate those waters at the moment? I think it's interesting. I'm like, literally, I'm in the education business. I own a training company, and I've been in the training business since the mid-90s. I, I worked for years for Dale Carnegie Training after I kind of took my entrepreneurial route, I decided I wanted to be a, uh, a public speaker, like a motivational speaker, like Anthony mm-hmm. Roberts, Stephen Covey, and ended up working for Dale Carnegie Training, which is the, he's the guy that wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence mm-hmm. People. Yeah. And they're all franchises. And so what happened is I ended up becoming their biggest franchisee and second in the world and number, number one in North America. My advice, though, being in the training world, and I've told my sons this, I'm not big on college. I think for some people, it's right. I have one son I don't think it's right for. And right now with technology and what you can do, you can, I can buy an iPad today or or buy a URL and really monetize it within 24 hours if I wanted to, depending on what kind of business. So if you have a plan and a passion, I think you go after it. And that's really cliche. But here is my very strong advice and you know this, Travis, probably as better as it, than anybody does. What I find is most entrepreneurs are very product heavy or idea heavy and really sales poor. I watch entrepreneurs. I talk to a lot of them. It's a passion of mine. They struggle raising. Not very good ones or the vast majority struggle on how to sell, the sell their sales, their idea, their product or service. And I yeah. think I heard a statistic recently that a thousand businesses are started a minute around the world. Wow. And really only only about three to four percent get over a million dollars. And yeah. a very small percentage get to a ten million dollars. So that that would be my advice. Figure out how to sell your product, figure out how to sell you. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And and learn that skill set early on is definitely definitely something that benefited me in my career for yeah, sure. Yeah, you're not gonna go to college, Travis, to learn how to sell. I mean, they're so yeah, sure. That, I mean, very few colleges are teaching people how to sell. Yeah. And how to sell well. I've had this conversation, Lance, with so many people. That's why I ask. I just find it a really intriguing conversation. And then we have our son. He's 16 months right now. So we got some time. But uh, I'm always curious to hear what people's perspectives are so I can, you know, give better advice to him when he kind of gets around that age of deciding what he wants to do. And that's one of the things that I've definitely figured out is the quality of school to me, I think makes a huge impact because if you end up going to, you know, Harvard Business School or something like that, even just the contacts and the network that you leave with is probably extremely high level and, um, and maybe worth spending some time learning from people like that. And plus, they're going to be bringing in keynote speakers and guest lecturers who are actual practitioners of the craft that they're teaching. But if you're going, you know, and, and this is no shade to anybody, but if you're going to the local junior college to learn like sales and marketing from the professor who makes $60,000 a year as a, you know, marketing and or sales, you know, professor or whatever, business growth professor, that to me just is like a, why are you going to learn from somebody who's never, who's never done it, who's only studied how other people did it when you could just go learn from somebody who's done it in a 
real setting instead of a classroom setting. And you can like intern for somebody, learn from them, learn the business and make money like all at the same time. And that just find that to be a much more valuable way to get the job done, especially for most people that don't have maybe the contacts or the finances or the grades or something to get into some of those more prestigious schools where some of, you know, where they're learning from the actual practitioners and they're getting those guest lectures and they're having the network and the, and the staff that, you know, and the alumni networks that can, you know, feed into business plans and, and career plans in the future as well. Well, think about it. I mean, you look at the lineup that you've had on your podcast and I, I was going through it when I got excited to be on this. I'm like, and I started, I subscribed. I mean, I can uh, thank you. I appreciate more that. from your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I can learn more from your podcast than four years at school and monetize that pretty quick if you mm. if you have the ability to move it. And you got to have people around you support you. You know that as well as anybody. Yeah, yeah um, sure. I sold rainbow vacuum cleaners when I was between my freshman and sophomore year. Yes. Door nice. to door. And the guy that ran this successful license, he I remember him showing me his tape set. He goes, Lance, I never went to college. He goes, but I have this tape set, and this is back then. He had all these cassette tapes of, mm-hmm. you know, motivational speakers and all kinds sure. of things. I can access that anywhere. So it, you know, it, re- it takes a special individual and expect to fail. Most entrepreneurs yes. I know have failed at some level. You're gonna fail so many times too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was, so I had this conversation with my wife the other day, Lance, where we were talking about. I was trying to list off all the things that I've done in like just the last few years. You know, just the different. Right. ventures that I've that I've hopped into, you know, different opportunities, a couple of them being like network marketing or MLMs, and then a few uh, door-to-door organizations, companies, you know, I ended up getting my real estate license, my mortgage license. I was trying and testing and failing on so many things. But uh, it seemed like every time you find a little bit of success, it seems like that plateau that you hit after that success is a little bit higher than the last one, though. Because you learn so much from every single time you go through one of those things, that the next time you tackle it, you're starting from a different position than you were starting the first time. And then, you know, after a dozen of those under your belt, you're starting from a much, much higher position and you have a much better network and you have, you've learned so many lessons and you've, you've fallen flat on your face so many times that you've, you've been able to implement those, you know, things that you might've had trouble with the previous time and see more success with it this time around. So there's just so many, so many lessons that can be learned from being okay with the fact that, you know what, odds are, I'm not going to get lucky on the first attempt at this and right. just like blow up and make millions and millions of dollars and retire. <laughs> you know well, I mean? and, and it's, it's all an odds play, right? It's like you, you live in Vegas and, and yeah. you know, most entrepreneurs play like a slot machine type of play and they think they're just going to make a pull down on the arm and, and they're going to hit it. It's actually right. more craps play than anything else. I mean, you got to understand hmm. the game a little bit. There's a lot of action. They're your better odds. Yeah, but you still got to play the game right for sure. But then also get a little bit of that luck mixed in, a little bit of that timing mixed in. And no uh, doubt, there is a little bit of luck in it. You know, timing is everything, and it's cliche, but timing is everything. And I I think the last thing, it's such a great question to ask because anytime I've gotten myself in trouble with being an entrepreneur and a business owner, is when I've abdicated responsibility to somebody that I should have known. Like one, I got I got super big at one point and I didn't pay enough attention to the numbers and I had an embezzlement. But it was my fault. If somebody wants to steal from you, they'll steal from you, right? Yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, because you're going to have to put trust in people. It's just how fast you can figure it out. Right. But ultimately, I, I blame myself. It took my eye off the ball. And because I was busy doing other stuff and I over-trusted people and you abdicate responsibility, get yourself in trouble. You got to pay attention to certain things and be disciplined. And you know that as well as anybody. And, and you're never going to do that again. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, will I never bump my head on the door there again. And it was silly. <laughs> 
And like the investigator said, look, it, it happens to so many people, Lance. And I was like, yeah. He said, here's a silver lining. It only took you three months. Some people it takes three years to find mm, out. Yeah. That's good, right? Ultimately, the guy was a bad guy, but I got to take responsibility for that as, sure. as an entrepreneur. I have to. And that was years ago, but it's it was a lesson. Yeah. What are some other lessons that you've learned that were really, really hard pills to swallow? You know, you mentioned talking to your wife. It kind of ties into that trust thing. My wife is the kind of person, and like I, I really share my goals and things with people that are have a vested interest in me succeeding. I've been careful over the years where I've ran my mouth and I've shared goals and visions and dreams of people that didn't have a vested interest in me. And they're usually people that take nicks out of me because I make them uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. I'm careful there. So my wife or my and if wife, partner, husband, friend, mom, dad, whoever it is in your life, right? Like make yeah. sure they have best an interest in you succeeding. But speaking of that, I have a tendency, I believe in process. I'm probably a little bit of a Marcus Lemonis or like a John Tafford type guy where, you know, process, predictability, people, execution, cash are all really important. My wife has always been good in the business, and I haven't loved getting my family over involved in the business. At, at one point, both my brothers have worked for me, and they don't anymore. So mm. sometimes this just doesn't work out when you work with family. Sure, but she she's the kind of person you got to earn trust with her. I'm the type of person that I'll give you all the trust, and you can whittle it backwards. Yeah, I probably at this point in my career probably air a little bit more to her style and make people earn it a little bit. I think that I've made some mistakes there. And not that I've been sold. I've just wanted them to be successful or that function to be successful. I've overplayed it. I sold myself. <laughs> it's probably yeah. the, the answer. I'm a good salesperson. Yeah, I sold myself. <laughs> yeah that, which is the most important sale, right? Definitely. Well, cool. I, I want to get a little bit back into your story here, Lance. So you do the college thing, doesn't work out as much, start this first business. Tell me about the results of that first business and then where you went after that business. It's a great question. So I literally, one of the companies I was calling on with this import-export brokerage, right? I, I connected with this professor at the University of Pennsylvania. I went out and bought my first suit and he kind of coached me a little bit. I guess he, he felt that I was, had some spunk. I felt like that I had some, uh, a good idea. And then as I was calling on businesses to take their, I would do research, take their, look at their product offering and look to broker them overseas and, and kind of the communist countries that were opening up. And then one of the companies I was calling on was in Jersey and it was called PH2O Systems. And they were building, and I'll say this as quick and fast as I can, they were building frog systems for universities that would study the epidermis or the skin of a frog and they would do cancer research on it. And I had wowed the owner and he hired me as a salesperson. And at that point, I'm 24-ish and he offers me a big salary and I'm just like, okay. So yeah, all right. of a sudden I was a little less committed <laughs> to my business because somebody had thrown me some, you know, some hard cash. And I guess that's probably where I was. And I, I did that. I did that well. And then after a couple of years, a, another one of their vendors ended up hiring me. And I just got a little tired of the rat race. I, I figured I was good at sales. I wasn't good at the technical aspect of what I was doing. Hmm. And I was always infatuated with personal development. And that's how I had, had landed a job. I'd looked at Anthony Robbins' organization at that point. I looked yeah. at the Covey organization, Dale Carnegie, and I, and I ended up getting a job there because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be you know, a motivational speaker, a trainer. I wanted to have that kind of impact. So that's ultimately how I went. So I didn't fail. It, one path led to the other. And it's 
you know, it's not always who you know, it's who wants to know you. That's something that definitely relate with in, in uh, my past few years for me too, is that, you know, it wasn't necessarily a failure. It just kind of stopped and moved into a different opportunity right. that I viewed as being a better opportunity than the one that I was trying to do at the time, which I guess could technically call it a failure because I didn't achieve the thing that I had started out to achieve, but ended up in a better place and uh, making decent money. And I think that that's extremely valuable to recognize you know, when to close a certain chapter and open a new chapter. I think I have a tendency, I don't know if you're the same, Lance, but I think I have a tendency to maybe close a chapter a little bit too quickly <laughs> once I get fed up with it instead of uh, instead of trying to like ride it out a little bit longer. But yeah. to be fair, the opposite I think is the problem that the majority of people have. And I'd way rather have the problem that I have because I think too many people hold on and cling on for far longer to something that is draining them, does not fuel them up, does not make them happy, makes them hate life, and then they never build an exit plan to be able to leave that thing for, you know, whatever reason, you know, culture, society tells them that they shouldn't do that, I guess. But so props to you for, for acknowledging that and moving on to the next opportunity and always being willing to like look to build that dream life for yourself. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So for you, that translated into a first, first a job with Dale Carnegie and then the franchise opportunity after that? Yeah. So kind of interesting enough, right about the time I was getting married and the guy I was working for said, hey, I'm buying a new franchise. I'm going to sell the one in Philadelphia, move to St. Louis. And I said, okay. And I was heartbroken because he was my hero. He was my role model. The guy hired me and he goes, there's one catch. I want to bring you with me. And, but the people that are buying it, feel that you're an integral part of the deal. And I'm, I'm kind of in my mid-20s and I was flattered and I don't think I really understood what that meant as much as I do now. Mm. 
And then I talked to the new owner. I was bringing him around to some of my good clients. His name's Sam Iorio. He became my greatest mentor. He's, he's a guy that's six foot nine and, and we're in the car and he's huge. He was a basketball player. And I said, you know, Lance, he goes, he goes, what do you want to do? And I said, Sam, I want to be you and, or somebody like you or like Mark, who was the guy who was going to St. Louis. And he said, well, he goes, no matter what you decide, if you go to St. Louis or stay here in Philadelphia, you're going to be successful. And the only thing you got to make a decision on is do you want to be more successful around friends or family here in Philadelphia or go somewhere that's 700 miles away to be successful? And he had me at hello. And then he made sure within the next two years, I did become him. He sold me 25% of equity in his business, which is the same amount and percentage. He sold his two children that were my age. It was a family business, but I owned as much as they did as his kids. And then after about a year and a half, two years, I decided that I wanted to go off on my own. And we exited clearly. We're all dear friends. And then I ended up gobbling up four to five franchises in Dale Carnegie, starting in Cleveland after that. And I went on a huge run and kind of got too big to fail, too big to get too more successful with them, too, because we're, we're kind of like the 800-pound gorilla in that network. Yeah, so sure. Forced to be to be reckoned with. We had a tremendous success, and uh, then from there, that was from t- 2002 to 2010, and and then I'd sold the interest, and start, we started our own firm. We just got, got so it. big. We had a. We're still actually, ironically enough, Travis, we're still the same company. A lot of the employees are still the same company. We've just changed names. So people say, "How long have you been in business?" 2010. I'm like, "Nah, 2002." Wow. Yeah. So we're doing it for quite a while and doing it at the highest level as well. Man, one thing I want to pull out of that, just from a mentorship perspective, uh, just for anybody that's listening, that you might have employees, you might have people that look up to you in that type of a role. What an amazing opportunity uh, your mentor kind of afforded you to be able to do exactly what you told him you wanted to do. One of my first, my first really, you know, my first real mentor, I figured out later, he was basically just in it because I made him money. And as soon as I stopped working for him, literally cut me off, like stopped talking to me, stopped texting me back, stopped, like he totally ignored me on all fronts. And it was a big lesson to me to be like, you know what, I would have been fine. Like I would have been working for this guy for so much longer and made him so much more money if he would have just been a little bit more supportive of the things that I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like It's so cool that this guy looked at you and, and, and you told him your goals and then he gave you a way to succeed with those goals, even though it might have not benefited him at first, even though it might have encouraged you to become a competitor, even though he knew those things, like he was looking at it as your best interest in heart at heart and not his best interest at heart. And I think that's just an amazing mentor. And I think that's just a really positive lesson to pull from that experience that yeah, you everybody know, can learn from. The way you, you say it too, like he treated me like one of his kids and he held me accountable like them. And to this day, we still talk. You know, he really taught me about business. Like I And you know this, how many businesses fail? I mean, one of the Mm. things he taught me, he goes, look, Lance, you want to run a business? The shower head has to be bigger than the drain. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, the shower head is is revenue. Expenses are the drain. The shower head always needs to be bigger than the drain. He goes, take that with your personal finances. Totally. Oh, Mm. yeah. And then he, he would go, there's 52 weeks in a year. And each week is a game and you have to score. This isn't soccer. No ties, no hockey, no ties. Right. Yeah. And you have to score. And I'll tell you what, I run my businesses to this day the same way. We keep score every day. We talk that we score the appointments that we get for new business and what we bring in in revenue. 
and it's never left me. It's 52 games a year. So talk to me about your sales process, Lance. The obviously a list of clients that we read off is an impressive list and like a dream list for a lot of people. I'm a big sports guy. I grew up playing basketball my whole life. Big Dallas Cowboys fan personally. And uh, I enjoy sports in a, in a big way. And uh, your firm gets to work with a lot of these awesome professional sports teams. And I'm sure there's some perks, benefits that come along with that. Talk to me a little bit about your sales process. When you say that you're taking score every day, what does that look like? So we do a lot, about 60 or 70% of our business is in sports and entertainment. We actually started those relationships, started off real small. When I owned the Dale Carnegie operations, it was really more of a, I would try to get tickets for, for my salespeople. And so essentially we would trade tickets for sales training and presentation training and stuff like that. Gotcha. And so our, our sales process is really simple. It's an analogy to my book, Sales is an Away Game, right? Because you're, you're literally in the mind of the buyer. And it really follows the pathway. If you think about, you know, probably one of the greatest business processes in the world, it's probably why it's the biggest argument in the world is healthcare. Or when you go see a dentist or doc, right? You go in at some level, they qualify you. Do you have insurance? Do you not have insurance? Sure. Right? So there's a connect step there. Then you go and see a nurse, nurse practitioner, dental hygienist, and they evaluate you. Then the doc comes in and evaluates you, right? Hmm. So there's an evaluation. And then remember, like business, medicine's a practice. It's yeah. like how Iverson said, we're talking practice, right? So at the end of the day, there's a diagnosis that's a best guess. And so our sales process follows that diagnosis, right? So it's connect, evaluate, diagnose. And then you get to some level when you're making, giving advice to somebody like a doc would, you prescribe. Yeah, right. right. There's a prescription. And then from there, you dialogue about the prescription. They might say, you know, Travis, you uh, you have a sore throat. We're going to give you some Tylenol with codeine. We're probably going to tell you not to drive, not to drink a beer and drive the tractor around the back 40 while you're on the Tylenol with codeine, right? Sure. Dialogue back and forth and then close. And that's, we have a very simplistic sales process. Like, you know, the client list you write off, they utilize that sales process and have big wins. Like for instance, um, Allegiant Stadium right in your backyard there with the Vegas Raiders. Mm-hmm, we're, mm-hmm. we're involved in that process from a sponsorship standpoint. A lot of those partners with a company called Legends that was a partner of the Raiders and uh, a lot of the the premium seating we've helped mm. people with. So, and they're really big deals across the board. I mean, they're B2B sales. They're yeah, yeah. six figure deals. I have a few friends who bought them. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and, and like I said, again, such a, such a cool business to be in, but I could not agree more with what you're talking about, about the process with the doctor's office and I actually, actually, we, we're launching our, uh, by the time this comes out, it'll already be launched. We're launching a podcasting course. And I threw in a like ethical selling module just because I think that whatever business you're in, you have to be a salesperson. And I think that's the reason that I was able to, to jump up a little bit with my podcast was that I, I knew how to sell. I had some oxygen that I could pump into the business at the beginning that I think a lot of people just kind of skip over and hope that they never have to do. Yep. And, uh, and so walking people through that process and talking to them that way is a much easier way to go about it than like a lot of the sales trainings that I was taking when I was first getting started. And I'm sure that you've gone through as well, Lance, where they're the more hardcore sale, like closing sales trainings where it makes right. it seem like you're a loser if you don't close the deal and they're, and like you need to win in the conversation and there's a winner and there's 
there's a loser and there's, you know, do you want to be a loser? And it's like, it's just this high pressure selling tactics that might've worked in like 1987 and probably still work a little bit today for more low hanging fruit or maybe less qualified buyers, but uh, will not get you to the next level and will keep you constantly chasing a paycheck for the rest of your life. But most people think that that is selling because that's the version of selling that they know. And that's kind of the same battle that I fight on my show, Build Your Network, about networking is that people know the wrong version of networking and people know the wrong version of selling. And so they just avoid two of the most important activities that you could be doing for your business, networking and selling. Two of the most important things that you could be doing in your business, you avoid because you think it means that it has to turn you into somebody that you're not. But if you, in reality, do it the right way, then exactly the way that you said it, Lance, like you're the expert that's prescribing a a medication to take care of a problem. And the patient, when they are in the doctor's office, there's no pressure. They don't have to go to the pharmacy afterwards and get their prescription filled. They don't have to do the things that the physical therapist told them to do with the band and the stretches when they get home. They don't have to do any of it. But guess what's going to happen? In 60 days, in 90 days, they're going to have the same problem that they had when they initially went into the doctor's office. So the question is, do you want to solve your problem or do you not want to solve your problem? If you want to solve your problem, here's exactly how to do it. And I'm telling you how to do it. You know what I mean? It becomes so much easier when you start looking at sales as like, look, I'm just trying to help people. And that's why I love Zig Ziglar's quote of, you can have everything in life that you want if you help enough people get what they want. And yep. uh, if you look at it that way, instead of, instead of looking at it as how can I get what I want, you look at it as how can I help the person, the avatar, the ideal client? How can I help that person get the number one thing that they desire? And if you do that, I promise you, paychecks that are going to be really, really big. <laughs> you know what I mean? I 100% agree. Look, people, people don't want to be sold. They want to buy. They want yes. a recommendation. I was at a, a spot the other day. You'll appreciate this. So you know, I'm late 40s right now and I'm, I'm sitting there going, ah, how do we get healthier? So I start to go to this cryo chamber, right? And they have mm. like a sauna in there and stuff. And it's kind of, it's good for inflammation and stuff, not uh, more preventative. And I was talking to the owner yesterday and she goes, I looked you up, you're in sales training. She goes, you have any recommendation for us? I go, yeah, I do. I go, your, your people lowball because they're uncomfortable with price. Mm. They sell like they would buy. Yeah. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, all they need to do is ask me what, what brought me in the door and what I was looking for. And they could easily just got me to spend the most. I would have yep. bought the whole kit and caboodle because they were just giving me advice. Instead, they cut me a deal and I didn't ask for a deal. Right, exactly. If they would have just asked me why I was there. They probably, you could charge me 3X more, right? It's so like, common. Right? It's so it common is. too. Yeah, that's how everybody sells. Everybody's just, they, 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 they so feel such a... Money. Exactly. Yeah. They, because they don't have their money right, they implicate every customer that walks through the door as being in the same financial situation that they're in. And they're like, oh, who would pay $650 for you know float tank sessions for the next quarter or whatever? Right, you know what I mean? Right. It's like, actually a lot of people. And, and probably a lot of the people that are buying float tank sessions and cryotherapy to begin with. You know what I mean? Like exactly. there's, not a, there's probably not a ton of broken. people. Can't put a price on health. Right, Can't exactly. It's health. people that are probably more aware of those things. Well, think about what you just said. People want choices, right? When you roll up to the gas station at this point, they just don't give you the cheapest gas. They still give the option of premium, a mid-level and low. Not everybody buys the low level. Hmm. Some people will buy the premium. That's why it's still a choice. Plus, not right? to mention, doesn't it make you feel a little bit better when you're buying the lowest tier gas because you see the higher price of the high tier gas and you're yeah, thinking goes about how much place, money right? you're saving? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so true, man. I, it seems like we have a lot of things in common here, Lance, and I, I would love to continue the conversation. We've got to move on uh, so I don't take up too much of your time. This yep. is the question that I need to ask you about networking specifically, and then we're going to move okay. into the last uh, the last segment here. So this is 
the one that I kind of ask every single guest that's ever come on the show. So curious to hear your answer. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? Which of those two is more important and why? I think it's who you know, because I, cause I have a rare spin on that. It's who wants to know you. And I think you have to bring value to the table. Mm. I remember early on in my career, I ended up getting involved with this chamber of commerce, the Philadelphia chamber of commerce. And my mentor, Sam, I brought up goes, well, why are you going to get involved? I go, well, I'm going to get some new business. He goes, are you going to get involved in the chamber? I go, well, yeah, I'm going to network events and stuff. He goes, no, go get on a committee and go offer mm. something and bring something to the table. And then I joined the um, United Way to start selling campaigns for them, right? And what I was doing is volunteering my time, getting companies to raise money for United Way. And I got passionate about that because it was what I was going to bring to the table. But it's then people wanted to know me when I had success and I wanted to know them. So I probably leaned to that first one because it ties into my personal philosophy with it. Yeah, 100%. Right? People by people. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Trust is ultimately the number one factor that's going to get you the deal over the other company, I think. Okay, so let's go to move into the last segment here, man. Random round, just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Yep. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? I think I would like to name nail polish. That is very interesting. <laughs> if, if this I, the, think, yeah. I think it's so creative. I, you look at the names of nail polishes. I think the people that do that, like Midnight in Moscow, I think that'd be cool. Naming stuff like that, that's kind of interesting. Huh. Nice. All creative. Nice. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? It would be P.T. Barnum. And the reason why is because his circuses and museums burnt down five times. And he didn't start Ringling Brothers until he was almost 70. Yeah, incredible. I'd love to get in his head. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? I think right now my preference is podcasts because it keeps the conversation. Nobody's droning on. They're just fast like we're doing here. Podcasts is my way. What is one of your favorites, one of your go-tos? I'm a huge Tim Ferriss fan. Yeah, I've kind of leaned a little bit over to Lewis Howes. He's an Ohio guy and I live in Ohio, but I, I like some of the people he has on lately. I like his kind of, it's quick hitting and it's good. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Um, been talking a lot about that lately. So my hack since COVID started, I am in a really best routine I've been in in years. I uh, spend 20 minutes moving, whether it be on Peloton or go walk the dog at about six o'clock in the morning. Then I sit down, I meditate for 20 minutes and I listen to the Calm app and mm. my girl in there, she keeps me nice and calm. So about 10 minutes or I do a body scan and then I immediately journal. And that's my first hour every morning. The days I don't do that, I'm out of whack. What is your go-to pump-up song? Right now, it's, and I asked this on mine, on my podcast, I, it's a sales song. It's Black Sheep, The Choice Is Yours. Love. Old school rap, The Choice Is Yours, Black Sheep. Putting business aside, what is something that you are just not very good at? I am just not good at any kind of home maintenance or anything. I'd rather just hire somebody. I, I don't even think it's cathartic. <laughs> <Black> <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> As we get everything wrapped up here, Lance, what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? Yeah, I, I think if you connect with me on LinkedIn, Lance Tyson, just look me up, Tyson Group, that's that's we get where most of our traffic comes. Perfect. So look on LinkedIn and look up Lance Tyson from Tyson Group. Reach out to him, connect, say what's up, tell him you heard about him here on the show. Lance, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really, really had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate you. 
Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.